I've had several people uh, walk up to me today and say, well, I guess this is your last Sunday, and uh, it just seems to me that you're trying to get rid of me. I'm getting that impression. Uh, I can take a hint. Uh, I think that there's a prospective minister next week, and uh, you're going to be making a decision about him, and I'll probably be back a couple of more weeks, but... uh, I appreciate all the encouragement. I really, up until the, the comments that were made this morning, I was really enjoying my time here. I just want you to know. I'm beginning a new series of messages. It could be long, it could be short, but it's called Simple. Simple. The Christian life doesn't have to be complicated. We make things a lot more complicated than they need to be. Stuart Cook had a three-year-old son, Matthew, who was eating an apple in the back seat of the family car. And Matthew said, Daddy, my apple is turning brown. Why? Well, Stuart said, Well, son, when you ate the skin off of the apple, it exposed the meat of the apple to the air, and it began to oxidize, and it changed its molecular structure so that it turned brown. There was a little pause, and then the little boy said, Daddy, are you talking to me? (laughs) Sometimes we make things a lot more complicated than they really ought to be. Just finished the World Series just recently, but the following explanation of baseball appeared in the 1980 Minnesota Twins program. Here's the explanation of baseball. You have two sides, one out in the field, one in. Each man that's on the side that's in goes out, and when he's out, he comes in. And then the next man goes in until he's out. When three men are out, the side that's been out comes in. The side that's been in goes out and tries to get those coming in out. Sometimes you get men that are still in but not out. When both sides have been in and out nine times, including the not outs, that's the end of the game. Now, baseball is a fairly simple game, isn't it? But we can make it really complicated sometimes by our explanations. The same thing happens in church. That's the reason why in 1991, Dan Gookin published his books for dummies. Remember the books for dummies? Over 1,700 different titles have been published, making things simpler for other people. Now, over the next few weeks, we're wanting to make things simple. A, B, C, D. Well, today, I want to talk about assurance. And we're going to be in 1 John, the fifth chapter, or 1 John, anyway, most of the time. So if you want to turn to 1 John, you go to the book of Revelation and make a left, a few books. And uh, you'll find the book of 1 John. In John the third chapter, John the third chapter, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was confused. And Jesus said in John 3, 3, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Jesus was drawing a comparison between being saved and being born. We're born, and then we're born again. 
Have you been born again? How can I know for sure that I have been born again? How can I have what we call assurance? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you recall a specific incident that occurred at the time of your physical birth? Do you recall the traumatic moment when you first saw the light of day? Do you recall the look on the face of the doctor who delivered you or the nurse who handed you over to your mother? Now, that's ridiculous, isn't it? None of us can remember any of those things, and yet we don't question, you know what, I'm not sure I've really been born. I can't recall a thing about it. We don't doubt our birth because we have three pieces of powerful evidence that prove that we've been born. Number one, we're breathing right now. We have oxygen in our lungs. Second, we possess a birth certificate. Most of us do, don't we? Third, we bear a family likeness. Now, the same three indications are true of our spiritual birth. How do we know we've been born again? How can we be sure that we're in God's family, that we're part of his kingdom? Well, the book of 1 John stresses three tests on which we can base our assurance that we're saved. In fact, this little book, 1 John, was given to us so that we could know Be confident that we are saved. In fact, the word know, K-N-O-W, the word know appears in 1 John 39 times. 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's that word, no. God wants us to be confident. He doesn't want us to go through life wondering, well, am I really saved? When I stand before God, will he really let me into heaven? Well, there are three powerful pieces of evidence. Number one, we have the oxygen of the Holy Spirit. We have the oxygen of the Holy Spirit. We know we're alive, we're breathing. Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 1 John 3, verse 24. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. When did He give it? Well, according to Acts 2, verse 38, when the gospel was first preached, On the very first day, the day of Pentecost, when the church started, the people wanted to know how they could respond. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive two things, the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 13 says, we know That we live in him and he in us. Because he has given us 
of his spirit. I read about a rather uneducated worker that was employed by a small construction company. He would always arrive on time for work and his boss would greet him every morning. How are you this morning? And the worker would respond, fine, I'm, I'm great. One night, the worker drifted into an evangelistic church and was converted to Christ. He arrived at work the next day, and the boss said, How are you this morning? And the worker responded, Great, I'm in the Lord. Well, that was a little different than the usual greeting, but the boss made no response. But the next morning, the boss asked the same question and received a slightly different reply. The worker said, Great, the Lord is in me. Well, the perplexed boss said, you've got to explain this. How can you be in the Lord and the Lord be in you all at the same time? Well, the newly converted man admitted that he didn't understand all of it, but it had to be true because the Bible taught it that way. Well, the boss pressed him for an answer. And suddenly that new Christian saw an explanation. He pulled a red-hot poker from the construction office stove, and he held it up. And he said, boss, this poker has been in the fire. And if you don't believe that the fire is in this poker, then just take hold of it and see. When I was baptized, I put on Christ. The Bible says in Galatians, the third chapter, verse 27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I am in Christ, but the Bible says Christ is in me. I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There is a supernatural power from God within every one of us who has been baptized. Isaac Arrett was the first editor of the Christian Standard. Now, the Christian Standard is now a monthly publication that Christian churches around the world uh, put out. You put it out every month. It used to be every week, but you put it out every month on the table. I know I got one. But Isaac Arrett was the first editor of that magazine back in the 1800s. He was once asked by a skeptic, how do you know you're saved? He said, I was there when it happened. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Well, do you have an interest in spiritual things? Are you involved in what God is doing? Do you long to please Him? Are you growing? We have, number one, the oxygen of the Holy Spirit as proof that we're Christians. Second, we know we're spiritually alive because we have a birth certificate. We know that we're saved because we have a birth certificate. Now, when we are born, our names are recorded in the country of our birth. And we're issued a certificate, aren't we? Everybody that is born, at least in a hospital, receives some sort of birth certificate. Likewise, when we are born again, our names are recorded in the heavenly records. Revelation, the 21st chapter, right at the end. Verse 27, John writes, Nothing impure will ever enter it, meaning heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful 
but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, by the way, the Lamb's book of life does not equal the local church membership role. We all understand that, don't we? That it's not exactly the same because there are some fakers. There are some individuals that that would, would like to fake their way in. The Word of God becomes our personal birth certificate. The Word of God becomes our personal birth certificate. Notice how clearly this is stated in 1 John, again, the fifth chapter, verse 11. The Bible says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. And then John writes, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. Now, there are individuals that struggle with confidence. There are. And I'll bet you that I'm talking to some people today in the audience today who kind of wonder, am I really Am I really saved? And, and you lack assurance. Let me tell you, my father lacked that assurance. He, he, was, a, he, was, a, he, he was a member of the church growing up. Uh, he was smart. He went to Purdue University. He graduated with an electrical engineering degree. He attended church every week. He was a generous man he he was he became an elder in the church he was a teacher of adults in bible school and yet and yet he just simply had this this nagging doubt about his own salvation so i know it persists it persists in smart people's lives it it persists in a lot of people and if we're not careful we can, we can buy into that ourselves. There's an old song that says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Our assurance of salvation is based on the unchanging word of God. In his book, How to Begin the Christian Life, George Sweeting suggests that doubting our salvation is kind of like the prisoner who has been pardoned by the governor. A guard brings him the document, and there it is, signed and sealed and delivered. But suppose you ask the man, have you been pardoned? He would say, yes. And you might ask, well, do you feel pardoned? And he might say, well, no, I don't. It, it's all so sudden. But if you don't feel pardoned, how do you know you are pardoned? Oh, the man would reply, it tells me so right here. You see, feelings themselves are not a good indication of salvation. They're not the best criteria. But the Bible does not use nonspecific language regarding our salvation. It doesn't say maybe, could be, might, hope to be. It uses words like will. Shall, is. And if you've given your life to Christ and yet you struggle with doubts 
I think one of the key things that you need to do is to memorize a few verses of Scripture to give you confidence. And 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 11, is one of those verses. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. We have the oxygen of the Holy Spirit. We have the birth certificate of the Word of God. And third, we bear the family likeness. We bear the family likeness. I heard about two men who were in a bar late one night, and both of them were, were drunk. And one said to the other, well, where, where were you born? Where, where are you from? And the other guy said, well, I, I'm from Ames, Iowa. The fellow said, you've got to be kidding. I'm from Ames, Iowa. Then he asked, well, where did you go to school? The other guy said, well, I, I went to Central High School in Ames, Iowa. He said, that's unreal. I went to Central High School in Ames, Iowa. When did you graduate? He said, 1958. No! I was from Ames, Iowa. I went to Central High School. I graduated in 1958. Where'd you live? I lived at 61 Heron Avenue in Ames, Iowa. No! I lived at 61 Heron Avenue in Ames, Iowa. This is really weird. Well, about that time, the phone rang in the bar and the bartender answered it was his wife she asked him how are things going tonight he said fine but the smith twins are drunk again <laughs> you know, we bear the family likeness don't we at least we're supposed to we do in this life there are identical twins when you are born When you are born, people will look at you and say, he looks just like his mom. Or he looks just like his dad. Sometimes you can see the grandparents in a baby that's born. Sometimes you can see an aunt or an uncle or a cousin. When we are born, we take on the characteristics of our family. And when we are born again... We should begin to resemble Jesus as time passes. This is one of the great themes of 1 John. 1 John 1 verse 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. The second chapter, verse 3 We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. If our lives begin to reflect the holiness and righteousness of Jesus, as time passes, if there are changes in our attitude and our behavior, if there is spiritual growth that is going on in our lives, then we know that we know him. In fact, in Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 29 The Apostle Paul writes, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, God intends for us to conform to that image, the image of his son. We need to be sure that we measure the Christian life, though, by progress and not perfection. Because no matter how much you grow, 
no matter how well you are able to, to, to grow in the Christian life, no matter who you are, when you die, you still will not have measured up if perfection is what you're using as a criteria. We need to measure the Christian life by progress and not perfection. Because none of us is, nor will any of us ever be, perfect. We're to grow. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps backward. You know how it is. I heard about a 300-pound man who went to his preacher in deep depression. He said, I just cannot lose this weight. I've tried my best. I can't get a date. I feel like such a loser. I need your help. The preacher said, I believe I can help you. He said, you be ready tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, the next morning, the doorbell rang at 8 o'clock, and the 300-pound man expected to see the preacher when he answered the door. But there, when he answered the door, was a beautiful blonde lady in a sleek jogging outfit. And she said, you can have me if you can catch me. And she took off running as fast as she could. Well, the 300-pound man, he took off running too, but not very fast. He kind of chugged out of the house and huffing and puffing every step of the way. He waddled after her. uh, And she repeated that same routine. Every morning, 8 o'clock, knocked on the door. You can have me if you can catch me. Took off running, and he ran after her. The next to last day, he nearly caught her. He couldn't wait until the next morning. The next morning, the doorbell rang at 8 o'clock in the morning. He answered the door. He opened the door, and it was a 300-pound woman. She said, the preacher said, I could have you if I could catch you. (laughs) You know, that's sometimes the way it is. We make three steps forward, and then we take a turn backward, we should not measure our progress in the Christian life by perfection, but rather by growth, by changes that take place in our lives. Harry Truman's wife just came to mind. Harry Truman's wife, Harry Truman was the president back in the 19, what, 40s? Or 50s, 40s, 50s, I don't know. (laughs) But Harry Truman's wife was trying to get uh, him to stop using, people were telling him he should not use the word horse manure. He, He kept using the words horse manure. And so somebody confronted Harry Truman's wife and said, you know, why can't you do something to get Harry Truman to stop using the words horse manure? She said, it took me years to get him to use that. <laughs> yeah. and so sometimes we, we need to see progress being made. We need, and, and if we could see progress being made, then things are going in the right direction, aren't they? First John, the third chapter, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. 
Anyone who does not love remains in death. See, if those things are present in our life and there has been change in our behavior as a result of giving our lives to Christ, that's good. That's, that's helpful. That's helpful. But if there's no change, if we are the same miserable sinner 10, 15, 20 years after we have been baptized, we may not genuinely be saved. 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. You know, you may not have known that that verse is even in the Bible. But it's there. God expects us to examine ourselves. And certainly as the young lady talked about at communion time, that's a time of examination. Not necessarily to see if we're in the faith, but to examine ourselves and examine for progress that is being made. How do we know we're saved? We have the oxygen of the Holy Spirit. We have the birth certificate of the Word of God. We bear the family likeness. We're to be more like Jesus. Fred Craddock was a professor of uh, homiletics. He went to Johnson Bible College in eastern Tennessee, but he graduated. He became a professor teaching preachers how to preach. But he didn't serve in any of our Bible colleges. He served at the university level. Well, Fred Craddock tells about being in a restaurant, the Black Bear Inn in East Tennessee, overlooking the Smoky Mountains. And Fred and his wife were on vacation, and Mr. Craddock looked out the corner of his eye, and he saw an elderly gentleman in his 80s coming toward the table. The man came up and said, y'all on vacation? Yes. Enjoying yourself? Yes. Oh, where are you folks from, the old man asked. And Dr. Craddock said, we're from Oklahoma. The old man said, well, what do you do in Oklahoma? Well, he says, I teach uh, homiletics at Phillips University. Oh, you train preachers, do you? I got a story to tell you. And the man sat down at the table with Fred and his wife. The man said, you know, I was born in these mountains. And my mother was not married. And as I grew up, I had to put up with a lot of hassles. I felt self-conscious. And I just kind of kept to myself. I hated coming to town on Saturday because people would stare at me and question who my father was. Even at church, I would come late and leave early because I felt so self-conscious. Well, we got a new preacher, and one day he prayed such a short benediction that I didn't get out in time, and I got caught in the crowd. The preacher caught me by the arm on the way out and said, Whose boy are you, boy? Whose son are you? And I thought, oh no, even the preacher is putting me down. But then he said, oh, I recognize you. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. And then the preacher patted me on the back and said, now son, you've got a great inheritance. 
Now you go out and claim it. You're a child of God. The old man introduced himself as Ben Hooper. And Ben Hooper said those were the most encouraging words he had ever heard. You've got a great inheritance. You're a child of God. Now, son, you go out and claim it. He said, I've been grateful to preachers ever since that day. And the old man got up from the table and left. But Dr. Craddock kept going over in his mind, Ben Hooper, Ben Hooper, Ben, ben Hooper, where, where do I know that name? And then it hit him. Ben Hooper had twice been elected the governor of the state of Tennessee. An illegitimate son who came to realize that he was a child of God. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to be a part of a fellowship like this. We're thankful for the good people of this church, the excellent leadership here in this place. We thank you for the tie that binds people together in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we realize that we are undeserving, that we have committed so many infractions. We've committed so many sins. We're, we're undeserving. That is what makes your grace all the more amazing. We thank you. We thank you that we can be assured that when we die, we'll go to heaven. It's not based on our looks or talent or knowledge, but based on a relationship that we have, that you call us your children, that you call us sons. Father, we pray that you would bless and use us this week to the end that Jesus, your son, is glorified and that we grow in the Christian life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.